0: And I, I think a lot of people who are knee deep in caregiving or people who I call former caregivers after caregiving passes, they feel that. It's like this life, I was here and then I jumped this track and now I'm here. And
1: how do I get back? I am Lisa Roars, former executive coach turned podcaster and digital course creator. Just a few years ago, my typically unwavering optimism was put to the test when my autoimmune system went sideways and handcuffed my dreams to positively impact the world. Fast forward though, through years of failed experiments, dozens of doctors and countless hours of research, and I am now a healthy, thriving CEO of a business that is positively impacting the world by empowering people to exchange fear for fortitude and dis-ease for durability. I created the Sunshine Cafe podcast to give you strategies to be your best self-advocate so you can focus on the things which light you up. If you're looking for hope and encouragement to live a life you love, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Sunshine Cafe. When you think about encouragement, tips, and strategies for living your best life, the journey toward complete health and healing, you probably are not thinking about death, except in respect to avoiding it. But my guest this week just might change how you think about that topic. There are a lot of things that we can do while we are young, healthy, and thriving, which will set us up to enjoy the most profound peace in that inevitable chapter or the moment when hardship, dis-ease, or an accident cuts our life short. Our guest today is my friend, Allison Wyman, who is a family caregiving attorney, a consultant, and a coach. And she spent about 20 years, both personally and professionally, in the caregiving space. You may be carrying the burden and blessing of being a caregiver right now, or you may not even have that kind of assignment on your radar. But either way, Allison is going to open up your eyes to some key things that you can do to be prepared for that unexpected season. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody. I'm super excited to have Allison with me today. Allison and I have some similar backgrounds, lots of similar threads in our journey. And I just am so excited for my listeners to be able to hear your story today, Allison. You've got so many encouraging tidbits to share. Well, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's really,
0: really wonderful to be here with you and to be in your energy and see your Smiling face. My name is Allison Wyman, and I am a family caregiving attorney, consultant, and coach. And I came to this line of profession because I'm a two time cancer caregiver to my parents. And my dad died six months before my wedding when I was in my early 20s. And then my mom, very thankfully, survived. And she was fired by her oncologist a couple of years ago because she had 10 years of clean scan. Well, but that's the I kind am... of firing that we would all like to be fired, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: right? <laughs>
0: absolutely. Absolutely. But I am um, working, of course, now with my mom through the caregiving components when it comes to aging. And she's experiencing some mobility issues and um, it. I'm just going to be very honest here, Lisa, it it breaks my heart. But I know that I can't stay there because there are things that I can actually do that make a difference to her. And there are also things that I need to do to make a difference and protect me. And so that's where I am. I am caregiving and legacy all the time. I say caregiving is the highest form of legacy. And so I love thinking through not only the practical and the legal when it comes to caregiving, like health insurance and wills and trusts and all of the estate planning goodness, but also thinking through family stories and how we can tie those into really giving people the best possible life and death experience.
1: Yes. Oh, my goodness. So very true and so important. Because in this world that we live in, especially in the U.S., where we don't have a tendency to have our parents live with us, once they get to a certain point, a lot of times they go into some kind of a facility, whether it's assisted living or just a senior community. But we don't often talk about all the challenges that come from being a caregiver. And as you know, I had about 20 years of caregiving with my mom. And so I have such a resonance with what you're doing because There's this bundle of emotions, right, that come with the guilt of, you know, am I doing enough and the guilt of am I doing the right thing? And then there's also the whole level of families who don't have the best relationships with their parents but are still called to care for them. And that's a hard thing, too, emotionally. Tell us a little bit about the emotional side from the daughter side, some of those things that played out for you. Right. Well, um, when you were making your list,
0: Lisa, which was a beautiful list of all the range of emotions that people feel, I was also thinking one of the things that's really hard that people wrestle with and I certainly wrestled with is I love this person. I want to serve them. I also love myself and I want to serve myself and I want to have a life in whatever configuration that looks like that is mine. And so I would say that when it comes to the emotional component as a daughter, that was probably my biggest struggle. So like I mentioned, my dad died six months before I got married. And so here I am about to embark upon the greatest love adventure I can ever imagine. And um, actually... (laughs) In come January, my husband and I will have been together for 20 years. That's our dating anniversary, feeling oh. very excited about that and looking at ways we can celebrate. He's really been through my side through this entire caregiving adventure is what I would call it. But it it also took a lot of sacrifices on his part. And so there, it's really, really, really challenging when there's someone that you love and you feel like they need you. Now, whether or not they actually need you, when I'm working with people, I always like to Mm -hmm. dig into that. Like what does needing actually mean? Or whether they're admitting that they
1: need you, right? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So they feel like they need you or you feel like they need you and you want to be there. You want to show up, Mm -hmm. but you also want to show up in your own life. And so I would say that not only that in the concept of relationships, particularly marriage, because my mom, I think about how unusual it must have been for her to lose her best friend and husband. And then six months later for, you know, to have her engage in my wedding and and all that that entailed. But then um, when my dad was diagnosed, it was three weeks into my first job out of law school, which was my dream job. So this was the job that I had in my heart, in my mind, and I'd set my goal for, and thankfully, I had been able to spend the summer there, and they had made me an offer, and I was three Mm -hmm. weeks in and just just getting settled, and I received a call from my mom's doctor before she was even awake from anesthesia saying, there's something wrong, and you need to come back here. Mm -hmm. So I picked up, and I left my job for an entire year. And I am very thankful. Three weeks, right? That's so hard. Yes, yes. I'm very thankful that my job was able to hold my position. They even held my office. I mean, they wow did all they bent over backwards to serve me. And I will forever, forever be grateful to them and to that team of people. Uh, But it was a year out of my life where my my friends and my classmates were learning and advancing in their careers and growing. And although I was on a a different adventure, I was sleeping in my childhood bed, driving a car that wasn't mine, that someone was loaning me so that I could show up and be there for my mom.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then you've got all those layers of emotions because I understand I never went to law school, mind you, but I do understand the competitive nature of it because I have had friends who have been on that journey, and so you're in this competitive situation all your whole college career, trying to get the best grades and the best scores, and then you're in your job, you got your beautiful job that you're so proud of, and excited for, and now you're paused, and instead of being able to press that gas pedal and just go, you're required to park for a bit. It's absolutely, that. absolutely, and it I, and it was.
0: This is definitely an ego thing, which is not great, but I always want to be authentic and honest. (laughs) I was very much living the life when I went home. So I was caregiving and that was meaningful. But my external circumstances, I was living in my mom's house, in my childhood bed, driving a car that someone had loaned me, my mom was buying my groceries. I was very much living a life of somebody who hadn't tried or succeeded professionally and 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 that's okay but it was very strange so it it was less for me if I'm being honest lisa the competitive nature with my peers because i've always just felt that when it comes i mean although that's entirely true about law school my experience was always like we're we're lifting each other up we are teaching right. each other that was always what i brought to I my teams, if I was if I had a same year associate, I would be like, we're going to do this together. And I love that. And I have received that from so many people. It was more of um, a competitive nature with myself. This is not where I imagine my life would be right now. And it was so close, right? Like so close, but it's it's not there. And I actually I wrote a poem because sometimes it's really hard. I don't know if you found ways through your decades of caregiving to process things. But I found that sometimes words didn't do it for me. And so I needed to process in space. And I found poetry actually helped me. And so I wrote this poem basically about, I should back up and say, we had bought this condo right after law school in Washington, D.C., which is where I was working. And I went to law school in D.C. and we bought it right on Capitol Hill. And it was just like the most beautiful, cutest condo you could ever imagine and and so then when i when it was clear that i was going to be back for a year somebody that i knew who was going through their own life transition wanted to stay in my place and i thought you know this is great so all of my stuff was still there because i literally just packed up and flew home to my mom one night but it, it also felt very strange to have someone else kind of living in this life that we had set up for me to live and so i wrote this poem that was basically like I hung these curtains that I don't get to open,
1: you know, will they ever open? Did I really hang them at all? Wow. Just pausing on that for a second. That's really powerful because you didn't know actually when you left how long you'd be gone either. So you didn't know it's kind of all your stuff with all your fingerprints on it. And now all of a sudden someone else is in there enjoying that instead of you.
0: Right. And I, I loved that I could help out this individual in that way. And I, I'm tearing up. You are holding such a special space for me. So thank you for that. So I, I loved that I could help someone else out, but there was just, it's it's parallel lives. And I, I think a lot of people who are knee deep in caregiving or people who I call former caregivers after caregiving passes, they feel that. It's like this life, I was here and then I jumped this track and now I'm here. And how do I get back? And so, so much of the work that I do, the law offices that I offer, the digital course that's, uh, that I'm launching in January, the individual services that I offer are focused around
1: that. Yeah. I liked how you said that about jumping tracks, because it does feel like you almost get just pulled out of your own reality and placed into a different one when you're caring for a, a parent or a child or even just a friend. There are certain people out there who are caregivers for friends that are hurting or nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever. So it's it does feel like that, like you get sucked kind of out of your own life and put somewhere foreign and uncomfortable and uncertain. You don't know how long they're going to be in that state. You don't know how long you're going to be required. You don't know if you should be there. You know, there's just so many questions. And I also love that you turned to poetry as a means to get those emotions out and process the things that you were working through. Um, that's a really good tool for our listeners to keep in mind, to just process through whatever means they might need, whether it's music or poetry or movement, whatever it might be. Absolutely, and i I encourage everybody to
0: find their thing, and I think it's great if you can find one thing or multiple things beforehand, and of course, it may change when you become a caregiver, but journaling, for instance, I mean, there's so many studies and so many testimonials about how important journaling is, but that it's hard to start something new when you're in a crisis. so if you have a practice or you know that there's something that brings you comfort, something that provides a level of expression that resonates with you, I always just encourage people to nurture that in their life. Not only because it's hopefully healthier and it makes you more joyful, but because then it's a true friend
1: and a pillar you have to fall back on when you need it. So true. And I, I know people that I've encountered on my journey of caring for my mom that weren't really the expressive types Oh. So so they end up kind of stuffing those emotions. And for those listening out, I mean, Allison, you know how important it is to just find a means to get the emotions out. Because if you don't, if you don't consciously get those emotions out, your subconscious is still dealing with them. And it can really create a backlog of stress that people don't even realize is affecting them. So even if you never share that poetry with somebody, even if you never play that song for someone, even if you never have that journal be read by anybody, just the process of releasing it from your own brain is so cathartic to help people heal and to release that stress so they're not carrying that. And it's okay to feel angry about it. It's okay to feel like, why me? And it's okay to feel guilty. And it's okay. All of those emotions are valid. Mm -hmm. But I love what you were saying that I have to love myself too. So love yourself through that and let yourself find an expressive way to get that emotion out.
0: Absolutely. And what I found, Lisa, and again, I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a psychologist. So I say all of this with the disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Right. But I found that the, the deepest parts of me, which caregiving brings up, right, like the darkest parts of me, I would say, are things that I had a lot of shame around. Yeah. Just some of the questions that you were raising, if you, get, if you like dig in and you really mm-hmm. get to it, it's the question that you're asking that you feel like you shouldn't be asking. That's, that's the darkness. And so I found that by either journaling or writing a poem about something that I was able to unearth that from inside of me, this thing that existed, but I was trying to cover up because I felt shame around it. And I was able to bring it into the light. And that's what this form of expression does. And so now that it's in the light, the question is you get to decide like what you're going to do and you can share it or not, but at least you've brought it out from the depths of you. I really feel like it's like taking this heat of shame and pulling it from the root and sticking it somewhere that's not in you and saying, no, shame, you don't get to live in me. You might live here Mm because I'm a person and this is what I'm feeling, but you don't get to live in me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You don't get to direct me and own me. I own you. <laughs> Emotion. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. There's so many, because there's so many things there that we could unpack. So many good things. Let's, let's shift a little bit because a lot of what you do for your clients, as well as in your online presence now with your podcast and your course, is helping people through that legal side as well. And it's often something we don't think about until you're thrown into it. I'll tell you, on on my journey, just getting through the paperwork and the legal things that I had to do for mom, I remember thinking, if mom was feeling better, there is no way she could understand this stuff because I can't even understand it. Mm -hmm. And I actually felt bad for friends of mine who have English as a second language because I could barely understand it and English is my first language. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of stuff to kind of get through when you're trying to be a healthcare agent or a power of attorney and all the different things that go into that health care for someone else's care journey. Tell us a little bit about what you do there to help your clients and what the elements are that a lot of people forget to think about. Mm, That's a great question. Thank you, Lisa. So I always like to start
0: by naming people, right? So I would say someone who's our age, I'm going to call them the adult child. And I'm going to call their parent the grandparent. And then I'm going to and then, of course, the adult child, typically the the people that I work with typically have younger kids. So you have the kids and then the adult child and then you have the grandparent, which is the aging or elderly parent. So when it comes to the law, there are really two tracks that are running. Right. We all need estate plans. And by estate plan, I mean, that's your will, your trust, your trust. Your power of attorney or healthcare proxy. And in different states, different terms are used, but it's just the concept, like you said, of what happens to your belongings and who takes care of them when you die, right? That's a will. And then with a power of attorney, it's who will stand in your shoes and can make decisions for you in your life should you become incapacitated. And then, of course, with a healthcare proxy, it's who is going to be your agent and make healthcare decisions for you should you become incapacitated. So, there are these big buckets of questions that we need to think about, and they end up being distilled into legal documents. And so we all should have them. They're, they're, it's actually quite a high percentage of people who don't have estate plans. And there's no judgment because, it's one, it's hard to talk about. Two, it can be an expense that maybe the family isn't ready for. But we know to a degree we all should have those, right? And so if we start from that understanding, then you take the adult child And you say, okay, the adult child either does or doesn't have their own estate plan, which means they either do or don't have a level of understanding and knowledge about an estate plan and what's in their own plan. And then you look at the grandparent. So the adult child's parent, you look at the grandparent and you say, we also have to think about whether or not the grandparent has an estate plan and really what's in that estate plan. So from a strictly legal perspective, right, the lawyer is always thinking about who's the client. And so the lawyer who drafts the grandparent's estate plan, the grandparent is the client. And for the lawyer who drafts the adult child's estate plan, the adult child is the client. What happens is when we're thinking about the grandparent and everything that's contained in those documents, what happens is, is that the grandparent may or may not understand the contents of their documents. But they're actually not the ones that has to live with them, right? Because all of these documents are either who is going to be in charge and what are they allowed to do when you either become incapacitated or when you die. And so we have this true disconnect. And this is just universally where we have documents that are being drafted for, say, the grandparent, and it's really the adult child who's going to have to use those documents and understand them but the adult child is not the client of the attorney who's drafting right so there are certain restrictions about what can be shared and then you have the grandparent who typically doesn't really understand their documents well enough maybe or can't remember the documents or, well enough or to what be they able thought. to <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> adequately convey that information down to the adult child so you have this triangulation Where it's truly the adult child that's left holding these documents and trying to use them, but doesn't understand what's in them, may not even know if they exist and where they're stored, and isn't able to ask questions. And so one of my passions, I do the drafting of the wills and the trust, that's important. One of my passions, though, is also saying, how can we, adult child, make your life better as a future or current caregiver by understanding what's in these documents, what roles you are going to be thrust into, and what those rules around the roles are before you're in a crisis and you're like, oh, can yes. I do this to a bank account? Can I change this beneficiary? Like, it's really nice to just have some clarity. And so that's a, a certain type of consultation I do for adult children when it comes to a state plan, because People um, are so in the dark and it's really hard. And although people may not want to really dive into it, their future self will thank them. Their future self and being able to do the things they need to do and get stuff done will
1: thank them. So true. Oh, my gosh, Alison, my mind is just racing. So we just had that same kind of experience with my dad. My dad passed last year. My mom passed Mm -hmm. this year. So this is such a fresh topic. So I really want our listeners to key into this. This is such an important, this is not only encouraging, but this is so important because we didn't understand anything that was in my dad's estate plan. And what he thought was in it wasn't exactly what was in it. So just exactly what you said, just understanding it. And, you know, we don't have the the choice of tomorrow. We don't know when our last day is. is trying what I'm trying to say, and so you can't in that that moment when you're so emotional over losing someone quickly, especially if it's a quick car accident or something like that. We don't know when those situations are going to pop up, and then all of a sudden someone's in a coma and they need someone to make decisions for them. And so we think, oh, we just got to push those things off, and I'm gonna, I'll take care of those things someday. And we don't realize that. We don't get the choice of when that someday is. So planning is so important, and just being able to, as a family, have an open conversation about, "Hey, let's talk through these things. This is part of life. Dying is part of life, and let's make a conscious decision about these things." While we're all in a peaceful, calm place of mind, and not in this reactive, emotional, "I I can't believe I just lost someone I care about, and now I have to think clearly" kind of Mm state. So. I love what you were talking chat. about having that estate plan, that healthcare agent, a power of attorney. And I'm actually speaking to myself because I I have that on my list and didn't get that done yet either. And I understand it to be so valuable. But what it really does is gives you such a sense of peace when your parents start to, to decline or when your loved one, your spouse starts to decline or has an accident of some sort. It gives you such a peace to know that things are set and are, are in a good place. And my mom, since my mom didn't have much in her life in her, as far as the assets and whatnot, we did not have an estate plan for her. And so immediately the government gets involved. And it was so complicated, so much more than it needed to be for this tiny little leftovers that were there. And while the money isn't a really important thing in this particular case, for sure, there's hardly anything there. It was just the headache. I couldn't get peace and closure around her passing because I had this constant rock in my shoe of the county asking me for details and proofs and backups. And so people who are listening, pay attention. This is something you want to do, no matter how big or small your estate is, is to really check into these things ahead of time so you can have that peace. And I would say one last thing before I throw it back over to you is that It's the best gift you can give your kids is to get these things in order and have those conversations as a family to really know exactly what will happen if the worst case happens. It's just the best gift you can give your family. Lisa, uh, well, first of all, thank you for
0: sharing about both your dad and your mom. I I didn't know that you had lost both of them in such quick succession. So I'm sending you so, so much love. And I know... I imagine that it's a process because especially with your mom it was a long long journey and I really resonate when you said um that you know tomorrow is uncertain and that's why when I'm talking to people and they're saying well I'm in my 30s like my parents are in their 50s or 60s this isn't something that really needs to be on my mind that's why I say well here's why here's why it needs to be on your mind and to your point about the rock in your shoe, I care. I care deeply about families and every stage. But what I really want to focus on, what all of my work eventually targets to, is the former caregiver. So after caregiving passes, what state are you in? Because life has continued to move during your caregiving process. You may have stepped out of that stream but that stream has continued to run. So when you step back in, I want Lisa to be as healthy and as ready as possible. And what that means is when someone experiences a loss, they need to be able to grieve. And if somebody's grief is constantly being interrupted by this administrative burden that doesn't have to be there, then that grief and that love and that process becomes like how how can
1: it be that I have to deal with this right in this moment Great. yes and I mean you get you kind of get angry I'm just honest I kind of got a little angry with the government entities calling me I'm like really do we have to deal with this now can you just give me a little bit of time to process so exactly spot on with what you're saying Allison what also can
0: happen is that this former caregiver becomes a little angry at the person the person that passed and that's the exact opposite of what we want. We want to honor that person and remember them and process in whatever way we need. But process because we need it. Process not because something externally is pushing us and pushing us. And I, I can share, Lisa, I love how open you've been. My One of the great, great reasons that I do this work is because my dad died without a will. He died without a will and things were not in place. And there were huge financial mishaps that our family experienced because he didn't have a will. And so much of the work that I do, and particularly the digital course that I'm launching in January is because my dad was so good at so many things and just not good at this. And so I wish I could go back and hold his hand and say, here's how we can do this together. But I, I wasn't doing this work then. Um, he was good at so many things. He was not good at this. And our family suffered because of that. And I don't want any other families to suffer. And I would say almost all of the major pain points around the fact that he didn't have a will or that his business affairs weren't in order were preventable. And as a lawyer, right, that drives you nutty (laughs) because you think, wow, it didn't have to be this way. And so, yeah, that's the reason that I do the work that I do. And some of it, of course, is legal, having legal documents in place. Um, A lot of it also is not legal. It's the conversations that we didn't have, the legacy pieces that we didn't know to think about. I have so much regret over that. And although I've personally allowed that to fuel the work that I do, I don't want other families to experience that hardship.
1: So true. So true. You know, we talked about a healthcare agent, which is the role that you can make decisions for someone if they're incapacitated, knocked out, concussion, coma, whatever it might be. A power of attorney where you can actually sign legal documents for someone in their stead if they're unavailable to do so. The state plan, which is so important. The healthcare directive is another really important one if people don't have something like that. And to your point, it gave me so much peace. I I had done that with my mom. And when she passed, I knew exactly what kind of funeral she wanted. She Mm -hmm. wanted pudding and chocolate chip cookies at her funeral. She wanted the things that you know that you can do to honor them the way that they would want to have been honored because it was what they said. And those kinds of things are so valuable. So you have like these two realities. You live in your life and everything's fine. Someone unexpectedly gets sick or comes down with a diagnosis, God forbid, that is progressing quickly. And you're not thinking about legal things. Not to mention the fact that you don't really want to say, hey, mom, I know you're dying, but let's talk about your estate. That's just like those two things just don't emotionally feel good. So that's one, one situation. The other situation is, You've talked to each other about that. You understand exactly what's going to happen. The conversations have been had and you can focus your time on whatever is going on to say, hey, mom, tell me about your favorite memories in life and tell me about all of those little, those legacy things that you were mentioning, Allison, that are so important to learn because once that person passes, you don't get that information from them. So Mm -hmm. your favorite moments and what are the things that you remember that I can learn from and what are the things that light you up and you know, really making sure you understand those things. Or hey, mom, dad, this happened and I just need to ask you for forgiveness because yes. this is yes. out there and I don't want you to pass without feeling like you're okay with that. Or hey, I need I need to let you know I forgive you because you didn't show up for me here when I really needed you to and I'm gonna let go of that. So you can pass, and I can feel good, and you can feel good, and those kinds of conversations can happen when you've got the rest of it in place. Oh gosh,
0: absolutely. I mean, oh, I resonate so much with what you just said, and i I think that the the prompts, the the responses in my head are always, "I'm sorry, I love you, I forgive you." Yeah, like, "I'm sorry, I love you, I forgive you." I'm sorry, I love you, I forgive you. I mean, thinking through. How that can change
1: mm-hmm. someone's
0: life and what they may need to hear, um, and I also can tell you, Lisa, that when it comes to legacy, I mean, and this is the the like, tell me about and like, what was the craziest road trip you ever went on? You know what I mean? It can be, it can be all levels of energy. That exactly, I really believe that if you allow people to talk about their life, like truly feel heard and seen and have people feel like their life matters and that they're able to share it, the good and the not so good, like whatever it is they want to share, then they they sometimes are more willing to talk about their end of life and their death because things don't feel as incomplete, right? There's this level of I've lived my life this way and here's what I've learned. And so now, yeah, it might be this final chapter. Okay, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. And so one of the things that I'm deeply passionate about is marrying those two. You take the basic caregiving foundational pillars and the legal concepts, and then you marry it and you open up that dialogue to get the information you really need about the caregiving and the legal pillars and concepts through asking about the legacy and the family history, the things that are actually really fun to hear about. But I think that we shouldn't just
1: silo those.
0: They really go hand in hand.
1: Exactly. That's so true. So most of our conversation here has been about that adult child and grandparent relationship. And I'm sure in the work that you've done, you've also had those situations where a parent is caregiving for a child who's ill or a child who's going through that. And that leaves that's a whole nother level of emotions because a parent should never have to see their child pass. We all know that there's lots of situations where children get sick and parents who wanted, you know, a life that was thriving and beautiful for that child now have to re-dream what that life is going to look like. So how do you coach and what kinds of experiences have you seen with parents having to give that kind of loving, selfless care to a child?
0: Wow. Well, it, it definitely is one of the most challenging elements and aspects of this area of law and life i would just say lisa that i, I first and foremost am a, a student in this because i have had the opportunity to learn from and gain the wisdom of so many mamas who have gone through this and so i i just continue to learn from them i i do not believe that i am an expert here i've had a, a small experience there where My son was sick and needed surgery and thankfully he's okay. And in the medical community, his surgery was considered minor and every day. But to us as parents, it involved general anesthesia. And so it was a big, big deal for us. And so I went through my own process of how to cope with that. And one of the things that I did was I, in that time, I created this this surgery workbook for parents. So the concept, right, is that parents bring the magic, but if a parent is scared out of their mind because their child is going through surgery, then they might not have a lot of magic to bring on that particular day. So I created this workbook that was part activity book for the child. It has things like a hospital scavenger hunt and coloring pages and drawing pages. So it's an activity book if the parent isn't feeling 100% on their magic game, but it's also... uh, Place so the parents can collect all their important information, all their emergency numbers, and also a planner where they can write out who they need to contact right after the surgery is over to let them know status updates. So the idea is, is that it's a place for parents to feel somewhat in control and to also be able to rely upon if they're not able to bring the magic in that particular day or that particular moment. And so that's how I cope. My son needed surgery and I was scared out of my mind. And I coped by pouring my energy into the really positive thing. And so can I tell you, Lisa, that we ended up using it. Um, I mean, we used the heck out of it on <laughs> surgery day. We, we made stickers. So we had made personalized stickers and they just said, thank you. And we gave them to every single person oh, that helped us that day, like a thank you sticker. And we'd use the activity book for coloring. And then um, there's, a, there's a part of the journal which says, when your child is in surgery, you write a letter to them. And you have gratitude pages, but we wrote a letter to them and we had his grandparents write a letter too. And it's still something that we just so deeply treasure. So that's how I coped. That is how I emotionally coped was by love pouring that. my creativity and love into this journal, which is something, you know, that we used.
1: I love that. And I think that would work for even caring for elderly parents as well. You know, we, mm. we go to those facilities and it's like there's all this heavy energy. It's like, what if we intentionally poured positive energy into that space. It takes a little creativity. But if you could find those resources, like you just mentioned, to kind of pour fun into your parents' day when you go into that assisted living or senior living or uh, long-term care facility, that would be a lot better way to do things. I love Thank that.
0: Thank And I can say, Lisa, that it, it really, it poured the fun into my day, right? Like it was because I love that you talk a lot about peace, and that is what I want. And I think peace comes from this place of calmness. And I think we have to be just real. We have to be real and clear that before surgery, we're not going to feel peaceful. Like we, we can try, but we're not because we have so much excess energy. Yeah. And so then to me, it's like if I'm going to have this elevated level of energy, the question becomes, what am I doing with that? Because I can be ruminating and worrying, or I can just be focusing on the good. and really like handing out stickers to everybody we see. And all these people proudly wore their stickers. And then I'm hoping that other kids saw the stickers and got some joy out of it. So it was just this thing that was passed on. So I am an intense person in many ways, and I am very passionate about this. So when you combine those, like who knows what you're gonna get? But for me, it was more just like, this is how I show up for me. I plan by creating this journal. And then this is the gift that I give to myself on surgery day. So we did it for my son. We did it for the legacy of it. We did it for the healthcare providers to thank them, but it was an act of selfishness in a way because it was truly for me. It's how I I held it together.
1: Well, you say that, and yet I can just imagine all the lives you made better that day because of the joy that you were giving them. I mean, that kind of gratitude is it just doesn't never returns negatively. You know, no one ever thank says, you. "Oh, stop thanking me for what I'm doing." <laughs> you no. Know? No one ever says that. So that's awesome. I love that. I'm going to have to get a copy of that workbook. That sounds way fun. Okay, so a couple things I wanted to get back to before we run out of time with you. You have gone through some really big challenges. You mentioned writing poetry as one way to kind of pull yourself through those darkest times. Do you have any other tips or suggestions for how someone who's going through a tough time in caregiving or is kind of stuck and feeling a little like they don't know where to go, Uh, like any encouragement, what kind of strategies or tips would you have? Absolutely. So the
0: one thing that I want every single person to have is something that I call a board of advisors. And so there's just this concept that although as a caregiver, we can rely upon ourselves and people are relying on us, I want every single individual, whether or not they're caregiving yet, to have that team, that they are going to rely upon. And that. so, what I say, and I really encourage people to do this even before their caregiving, is to think about one to three people in their life that they really trust, that they feel they can be open with, and that they trust the advice that they're giving, mm-hmm. and to reach out and essentially use a startup as a the comparison, because caregiving is really just a family startup, right, and say, I am preparing to launch this (laughs) endeavor, which is not a business, but is family caregiving for my mom. And I know that in doing this, I'm going to need people who are guiding me along the way, people who know me and have my best interests at heart, and people who can become my headlights when Mm. I feel like I'm driving in the dark and I don't know where to go? Mm. Will you be one of those people? And of course, you know, before people agree, their hearts want to say yes, but they also want to know the practical considerations. So I always suggest that you can either say, by being a member of my board of advisors, it could mean, and the individual, of course, can pick the frequency, but it could mean Calling me every two weeks and checking in, or sending me an email weekly, or sending me a text every five days, just checking in with me with a question about how I'm doing. And then I'm going to, if I'm feeling up to it, but I may not, I'll share back to you. I'll respond back to you and let you know how things are going. And based upon that, whether or not it's a text that I'm writing or whether or not we jump on a call together, it's really important that you help me see my blind spots in this area. If I am a naturally very bright person and you see my light dimming and dimming and dimming to the point where it's not healthy or natural at this moment, even with what I'm going through, that my light is this dim, like I need you to tell me that because I'm not gonna be able to recognize that myself. I need you to tell me that. And so I found that people are, so honored. And Lisa, I have to tell you that I've I've done this in not only my caregiving life, but I have done this in other areas of life. Um, when I gave birth to my son, I reached out to, I call them my seven angels, seven dear friends of mine. And I said, I don't know what my emotions are gonna be like. We just went through five years of infertility and then IVF in a pandemic. <laughs> um, will you reach out to me? Will you pick a day of the week and just reach out to me on that day? For three weeks straight, so it's only three touches, right? I'm like, you can reach out to me more. You can ask for photos. Will you pick on a Tuesday? You're going to reach out to me and just ask me how I'm doing, because then if I know I'm at a low point, I know that I can expect for those three weeks someone to open that door if I need to walk through and I need to confide. And so when my husband deployed to Afghanistan, which was the hardest year of my life, um, I I sort of married the two kinds of planning, and what I did was. I reached out to one of my very best friends and I said, if anything should happen to Dan, here's a list of people that I need you to tell because I'm not going to want to tell everyone. I'm going to need people to know. I'm going to need support. Here's the list of people. Can you hold this list for me? And can you be the one person, if something should happen to him, that I reach out to and that you will spread the word? People are so incredibly touched when you ask them to do these things. It, it's a real meaningful role that you're asking someone to play, and of course, yes, there are additional duties and burdens, and there's maybe a level of concern. But I found that if you ask people in advance to show up for you, they're just so honored, and they almost always say yes.
1: Right. Well, and how much easier for that person to share that kind of a news one step removed than for you in that moment? You know. That's Absolutely. Such a wise counsel. I love that idea, Alison. I'm gonna. I'm going to employ that one. That's cool. Well, um, okay, so if somebody's out there and if a lot of this stuff is resonating with them, two questions for you specifically. Do you have any um, suggestions for how they might find an attorney that could help them with estate stuff? It's hard to find someone that you can trust and feel good about. So do you have any tips for how to vet through some of that?
0: Absolutely. So I would say that the two most important parts of finding the right estate planning attorney is one, you want to make sure, of course, that attorney is competent and we can talk about what that looks like. And then two, ideally, you want to be able to have a relationship that goes beyond sort of the just strictly answer these questions, look Mm -hmm. over these documents, okay, we're done. Um, I have found that much like the conversations we have with our family through caregiving, if we feel good about our attorney and we feel open, like we can reach out to them and that they understand and they're actually listening, like we feel like we have that rapport with them, then we're more willing to say, wait, I don't understand. Can you explain this to me again? Or I forgot to mention this. Is it okay that I didn't put this in my questionnaire that I filled out? You know, you're just more open to having discussions and those discussions from a legal end are really important because they might include something that should be included in your estate plan that isn't. When it comes to competence, I would say every state has a bar association, and so you can try to find referrals through the bar association. So that's one. I would say referrals and friends and family is just another, though. Being able to say, hey, uh, have you ever worked with a state planning attorney? How did it go? What was your experience? Oh, it was wonderful. Great. Can I have their number? You know, so... Um, I would say that the vetting, although it can come from a source like a state bar association, and that's always a good one to fall back on, vetting is great when it comes right from the people in our life that we know. Mm -hmm. And then you meet with one or two people, depending upon your time and how the meetings go. And you just see if you feel like it's a good conversation, because, again, if it's a good conversation, it will lead to the openness and dialogue, which is the critical component to any sort of good drafting.
1: Is it reasonable to expect that you could have just an introductory conversation meeting with a lawyer without being charged? (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great question. So the model that I run and the model that I know a lot of other attorneys run is that you have a free consult. It's a free, say, 15 to 30 minute consult where you get to meet um, either in person or virtually. I, I work virtually a lot and I found that a lot of families appreciate that because everyone's busy, but you meet virtually and you just, you are able to explain a little bit about what's happening and what you're looking for. And the attorney is able to uh, provide some guidance or answer your questions. So it's a way that you can almost vet their yeah. level of competence or to see how much you like them and enjoy them. Yeah. And I would say that the way that it works, it, because I'm barred in New York and New Hampshire, I will speak specifically for New York here, that The way that it works is that when you meet with an attorney in that free consult way, you're not technically considered a client. So you don't have what's known as attorney-client privilege, which is what we know of when it comes to the greatest levels of confidentiality. But you do have still, and it's written into the ethical rules in New York and in most states, a level of confidentiality that's expected. So Lisa, you are a prospective client. Everything you tell me, I still have to hold confidentially. It doesn't fall under this specific legal term umbrella of attorney-client privilege, but I still have a duty professionally to hold what you're telling me confidentially.
1: Okay, beautiful. That's so good to know. And I love what you had said about the relationship and how that's important. It's kind of like choosing a lawyer is a little bit like choosing a doctor that you Mm -hmm. have to feel Mm -hmm. comfortable with Mm -hmm. them, Mm -hmm. or the outcome is just not going to be good. You just have to feel comfortable with that person and. And just because one person loved that experience and had a great Mm -hmm. estate planning experience, you might not because personalities are different, right? And I can say, Lisa, some people, they really want a super efficient system.
0: It's get me in the door, get me through these docs. We can communicate over like through email or through some sort of secure platform and I will send things in writing and you send it back and that's fine. You know, and that's great. Other people want more handholding and they want to know that they can reach out. And that their attorney will respond back within a certain amount of professional time and that they can ask further questions and there's follow-up. And that's also something that I would just want anybody to think through when they're thinking through fee structures. Some attorneys in general offer flat rate. Some attorneys offer um, their work on an hourly basis. And so it's really just, again, knowing yourself, knowing what it is you feel like you need to feel comfortable with this process and just recognizing that that's another element. The fee structure right is always an element that's added into finding
1: the right estate planning attorney. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, there are so many things I could still continue to unpack, but I just want to be um, respectful of your time and we're kind of getting to the end here. Let's though make sure that people know how to find you because you have such a wealth of information. I know you've got a podcast and you've got a digital course coming up. How can people find you, Allison? Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you, Lisa. I've really enjoyed my time here. So
0: I am the creator of Cozy Caregiver Cafe. So on Instagram, it's at Cozy Caregiver Cafe. And that is also the name of the podcast, which is on Apple as well as Spotify. So if anybody is interested in that type of content or following me through those channels, that's the best way. I'm also on Facebook at Allison K. Wyman. And I have a website, which is www.alisonkwyman.com. And it's actually on my website where I have all the details of the digital course, which will be open for enrollment in January 2024.
1: Beautiful. My goodness. Thank you so much. And we'll put those details too in the show notes here so people can find the spellings and whatnot that they might need to. But Allison, it been an absolute honor and privilege to have you. And I can't, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to have to have you back. <laughs> Too many things to talk about. I know. And Lisa, your, your heart is
0: so open and your uh, demeanor is so gentle. I mean, it has been a true blessing for me to be in your presence, in your space. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. You're making me all teary-eyed. <laughs> Thanks so much, my friend. I just wish you all the best on this next coming year that we've got going on here. And I just look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Oh, there's some beautiful takeaways from this conversation. I'll summarize them here. If you suddenly find yourself in a position of needing to be a caregiver, it will be a heartbreak, of course. Remember that there are things you can do that actually will make a difference for the person you're caregiving and things that you can do to protect yourself, save a little space and energy to show up in your own life. Number two, remember caregiving is one of the highest forms of legacy. Think through the practical and the legal things when it comes to caregiving, health insurance, wills and trusts, and the estate planning, but also think through your family stories and how understanding those stories can really give your family the best possible life and death experience. Number three, if you're not a caregiver yet, or maybe especially if you're not, find a way that allows you to express your emotions and brings you comfort. Find something that resonates with you and establish a pattern of maybe journaling or writing poetry, music, or some way you can nurture that expression in your life. It will not only make you more joyful now, but that expression will also be a true friend and a pillar to fall back on. When tragedy hits and you really need it. Number four, establish your own board of advisors and do it today. Don't wait until it's needed, per se. Find two or three people who know you and have your best interests at heart, people you can really count on and who can be the headlights for you when you feel like you're driving in the dark. Ask them if and when something happens, if they will be willing to stand in the gap, provide clear minded counsel to check in on you, call you, and help you see what you may not see including whether or not your own light is getting dangerously dim in the midst of a stressful journey. Number five, avoid the situation where grandparents have an estate plan, but the adult child that will be left to hold and use those estate plans don't understand them, don't know what's in them, and don't even know where they're located. Have the conversations while everyone is healthy and of sound mind so the family knows exactly where those documents are physically located, They know exactly how to execute them and how to work within the confines of those documents. That way you remove all the ambiguity and the unwanted surprises. They are hard conversations, but everyone will be so grateful for the clarity later on when emotions are high and grief is taking center stage. Number six, the best gift you can give yourself and your children is a well-communicated plan which covers the legal decisions and financial aspects but also the emotional and pragmatic decisions like what you wanted to have at your funeral and where your burial should be. Also, take time to think about how decisions will be made if you should have an accident or if something happens completely unexpected. The best time to make those decisions are when you are young, healthy, and thriving, and a good, sound mind. Then revisit those documents every five years or so and update them as needed. But get your estate in order. It will truly be the best gift your family never knew how much they wanted or needed. And they'll be so grateful to have it later. Thank you for listening in on the show today. If you know someone who is taking care of a loved one and might need to be encouraged by this episode, will you please share it with them and remind them that they are not alone. Check in on them now and then and let them know how much their sacrifices are appreciated. And if you found the content valuable, please consider writing a quick review because those reviews help other people find the content that's really valuable and helpful for them. Finally, if you're a caregiver and would like additional episodes on this topic, please consider following my friend, Allison Wyman's podcast. The link to her show is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless. And I pray that your caregiving journey will be as peaceful as possible.